Welcome to the How Great Events Happen podcast. I'm Cody. And I'm Brooke. And we're coming to you today from our respective home offices in Portland, Oregon. Well, we've got some awesome news coming from CVent, don't we, Brooke? We sure do. As you may already know, our annual user conference, CVent Connect, is all about bringing people together for incredible live experiences. But even though we're not meeting in person this summer, CVent believes in the power of live. So we're excited to announce CVent Connect Virtual. That's right. This two-day event taking place August 25th through the 26th will give you the opportunity to hear directly from industry leaders, such as CVent CEO and founder Reggie Agarwal, and attend any of our 28 live breakout sessions discussing everything from virtual and hybrid events to safety and security to event marketing and program strategy for when in-person events resume. We'll also be hosting virtual meetups and appointments with both CVent and some of our industry partners. And Cody, you want to know what the best part is? What? It's all at no cost to event and hospitality professionals. What, free? That's amazing. I can't wait for the entire meetings and events community to come together. Make sure to secure your spot today by registering at cvent.com podcast and click on the Cvent Connect banner. I cannot wait. Cvent Connect Virtual is coming to everyone this August 25th through 26th. That's cvent.com slash podcast and click on the Cvent Connect banner to register for free today. Today we have Lizzie Harbin, Vice President at PCCA, to tell us more about how they created a movement with hashtag compounding handoff. Yeah, her story is both inspirational and brings some really interesting insights to how she significantly increased attendance with their virtual event. Yeah, that's right. So let's get to our conversation with Lizzie. Well, thank you, Lizzie, so much for joining us today. I just wanted to get a little bit of background on what PCCA does and how you became the Vice President of Public Affairs, Communications, Education, and Human Resources. Sure, Brooke, absolutely, and thanks for having me today. So PCCA is almost 40 years old, and essentially, we help pharmacists and doctors create personalized medicine to make a difference in patients' lives. Our company is a complete resource to independent community pharmacies, and we provide them with their products, education, and support. And really, that's where our relationship with Cvent comes in, is through our education business unit. So we have over 100 events a year, and we partner with Cvent so that we can educate over 4,000 pharmacists and doctors each year. But before I jump in about myself, I just want to take a minute and tell you a little bit about compounding pharmacy. It may be new for some of your listeners. And essentially, it's making personalized or customized medication for patients who can't take commercially available medicine. Think about uh, making a liquid for people who can't swallow. Or think about patients who may have allergies and they may need medication that's gluten-free or corn-free. Well, compounding pharmacists can make the exact medication minus those allergens. So that's what our members do all over the world is they make customized medication to make a difference in a patient's lives. And what's really cool is that in every area of medicine you can think of, compounding can always be a therapeutic option. I'm so glad you explained that to us because I did not know what compounding medicine was, but it totally makes sense. It's just really kind of specializing these medicines for people who have these needs. Exactly. But I don't think I answered your question about me. So if you want me to do that briefly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. 
I have an interesting background. I started in social service and nonprofit fundraising, and then I ended up working for our trade association and compounding pharmacy, and really both in the social service world and at the trade association, I came upon PCCA. They were always my biggest donor, and I love the company. And it was a 10-year journey to get there, and I started um, an appreciation marketing team 14 years ago and have been an officer of the company for the past 11 years and then in my current role for almost five years. And really, it's just a culmination of all my work experience. There are seven teams in our group, and I just make sure they have the tools and resources that they need to do their jobs, and they're all led by absolutely incredible people, and we've just got a great team. I love that. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining. Um, Lizzie, I did hear, though, back in March, the FDA allowed compounding pharmacies to make hand sanitizers without a prescription, and that's in light of the COVID-19 pandemic that's going on. Can you tell us about what happened at PCCA the exact moment that this news broke? Absolutely, Cody. We were ecstatic. I personally was ecstatic because two weeks prior, I I knew this was a need. Pharmacists could fill. A lot of us did at PCCA, but there was a prescription requirement. So this was unprecedented. And we're really grateful to the FDA because they've created a lot of waivers at this time that are almost historical in nature, realizing the role that pharmacists and pharmacies play in getting patients access to medication. So once that news broke, uh, we went to work and we knew that our farm, our network of 3,000 pharmacy members could help fill this need. So first we had to make sure we had the ingredients to make hand sanitizer. Next, we built a COVID-19 resource center and um, our clinical team formatted the World Health Organization's formula in a, in a way that our pharmacists were used to seeing and a formula is like, like a recipe. And once this was posted publicly, we had 1,900 entities, uh, pharmacies and hospitals, download the formula in two weeks. And we took over 500 support calls to our clinical services team where staff pharmacists could help coach and guide people on making the hand sanitizer. And then we knew we needed to partner with somebody to just kind of beta test this idea of a wave or a movement of you know, really demonstrating the role pharmacists play in the community during a pandemic. So we reached out to a member in Magnolia, Texas, Steve Hoffert, and we asked him if he was going to make hand sanitizer for first responders. And he, we talked through it and he said, yes, absolutely. Some of our staff was able to socially distance in separate cars, travel with him and do this handoff. And that's really where the compounding handoff began. I love that. It's a hashtag, right? Hashtag compounding handoff. Yeah. So it's a huge social movement. And I should have said that Steve, you know, posted on social and things went viral from there. So uh, there was a cross-functional team of nine of us meeting every day. It was a special COVID team. And we started talking about what's next. How can we engage the whole membership in this effort? How can we really make a difference out there? and partnering with our members. And so we knew we needed a name. We kind of had the entire plan. We had everything but the name. And our director of communications and engagement in a brainstorming, it was the first word out of, first name out of her mouth, compounding handoff. And we all loved it and grabbed onto it immediately because it absolutely described making hand sanitizer 
and handing it off to first responders. So once we had the name, our social team got behind it and created a very simple three-step process. Uh, and then we thought, okay, how do we get this process to everyone for how to do this, how to make the hand sanitizer, contact the first responders, have the handoff, and then post on social. So we hosted a member briefing and we had 200 pharmacies listening live and then about another 600 uh, listened within a week once it was out recorded on the web. So our social team has supported all these members across the country through the hashtag, through boosting posts, through making uh, frames that say I can compound hand sanitizer, all kinds of great stuff. And then our public affairs team came in. We are a very highly regulated industry and we work with lawmakers at the federal level on a regular basis. So our public affairs team started sharing these posts and these stories with the members, congressmen and two senators to let them know the good work that this pharmacy or the different pharmacies were doing. And just to give you a brief example, regardless of your politics, Senator Ted Cruz in Texas shared about Steve Hoffert's good work in Magnolia on his Twitter feed, and he was able to reach 3.6 million followers with one tweet. Wow. So the amplification, yeah, it was just like combustion. And social's the new news, especially, you know, during COVID. So simultaneously, another team came in, Corporate Communications, who had a coined and named the movement, came in and, and hired a, a PR firm, and we were able to garner 127 million uh, earn media impressions in a very short amount of time. So and just to give you guys a couple more numbers, to date, 156 pharmacies that we've been tracking, so I'm sure there's more, have engaged in the compounding handoff. 32 news stories, including a lot of television news and major media markets, 16 media markets. And essentially, you know, it's just one really great opportunity to demonstrate the role that pharmacies were playing during this time of crisis. Those numbers certainly caught my attention. Come, my marketing background is, is very <laughs> impressed. I mean, it, it really just goes to show that there was a major need for this. And I mean, kudos to you guys for getting this off the ground and what, um, what incredible reach. I am just always blown away when I hear these stories about how, you know, a simple tweet like that from somebody who has so many followers can just make this whole movement explode. It just blows my mind sometimes. It's really fascinating to hear. And I know as soon as it, as that tweet went out, tons of people were probably interested. And I imagine making hand sanitizer is not as straightforward as I would initially think. And all these people probably were super motivated, but maybe had a bunch of questions and, um, I think that what you guys did was you created some member briefings. So how quickly did you have to throw those member briefings together? We did. And, you know, this has been an interesting time for everyone and everyone has their own COVID story. And I think part of pharmacy's COVID story is that every day where the world was sort of winding down and preparing to shelter in place and quarantine, pharmacies were, were cranking up. Think about it. You have patients throughout the entire country wanting, you know, 90 days emergency supply of medication and all of these things. So we knew that we needed to create a new channel to raise above the noise, to be heard and really talk to our members. So we chose Monday night as a new communication channel for a, a briefing or conversation with them 
because they're in this retail setting and so busy, you know, they were moving into split shift, closed door, whatever they had to do to serve patients, keep the patients and their staff safe and meet those medication needs. So thus, we came up with Monday nights. Um, we hosted a total of five of these member briefings. And of course, the first was just to establish the channel, let people know how we were going to be doing business during COVID and how we were going to be meeting their needs so they could meet their patient needs. Then we got into all the laws that were coming out, you know, Family First uh, Coronavirus Response Act um, by week three. So in terms of how quickly we turned this around, we knew the handoff was really taking off. And so we focused a Monday night member briefing on compounding handoff and crisis communication. Then we got into things for doctors, um, CARES Act, more families first, trying to help pharmacists educate their doctors. And then lastly, I mentioned earlier about the waiver to make the hand sanitizer without a prescription. There are other waivers or guidance documents that the FDA has released for temporary allowances during this pandemic. And so we wanted to educate our members about those as well. But the member briefings were really successful. On average, we'd have uh, one to 300 people on the Monday night, and then we released the recording. And within a week's time, I think our, our highest, we had 1,500 views. Oh my so gosh. Very successful channel overnight, yeah. When you're talking about the hand sanitizer, I know this is one of those things that just flew off the shelf as soon as people started realizing what was happening with COVID-19. I mean, I know I found some in the back of my closet the other day and it was like finding gold, right? It's so difficult <laughs> to get these days. I have to imagine there are a lot of people benefiting from what you guys are doing. Are there any um, certain groups where you're really seeing this hand sanitizer um, really helping with their cause or what they're trying to do? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, I think the first is we are headquartered in Houston, Texas, the fourth largest city in the country. And one of our um, staff members knew someone at the Houston Fire Department and just placed a call and said, how are you guys doing on hand sanitizer? And they weren't doing well and they did not have hand sanitizer and they have 100 fire stations throughout the city. So we have in Houston a chemical repackaging and base manufacturing facility, and we're able to quickly convert that into making hand sanitizer. And Chief Pena, the Houston fire chief himself, came to our building to pick up hand sanitizer for all 100 fire stations. So that was really exciting. And the Houston Fire Department let um, media outlets know, in addition to us, that was actually our biggest story. We had every television station, English and Spanish speaking, and every print publication in Houston there at our building at the same time. And in all my years of doing media and public relations, I'd never seen anything like it. Now, I, I sheltered in place in Alabama, so I got to watch from afar while my colleagues, you know, well-managed um, well that story. But that was really very rewarding for our whole company to fill that need. Uh, some of the other member stories, a member in Nashville was telling us about his handoff and Vanderbilt Hospital called and asked if he could make hand sanitizer. The labor and delivery unit was out and the nurses needed hand sanitizer to help deliver babies. That just warms my heart. 
that he was able to fill that need. And then first responders all over the United States had police, fire, sheriff departments, EMTs, and then, you know, people, nursing homes, hospitals, doctor's offices started calling our pharmacy members. They would see online and see if they could get hand sanitizer. And then even the public, like you said, you found some in your, in your closet, Brooke, and it's like gold. Well, if, you know, you could go to a compounding pharmacy and buy it. And the pharmacies got their patients engaged in the handoff as well, because they started to get really creative and offer things like buy one hand sanitizer, donate one hand sanitizer, kind of like Tom's shoes and things like that, or donate a case, you know, in your family's name to a first responder. So people got really creative and definitely filled the need and uh, engaged the whole community. That's such a great idea. Cody, we should donate a case. I think so too. I was just thinking about that. I didn't even consider, you know, the huge need for needing um, hand sanitizer and like the delivery ward. Like that is so inspirational. And and it's rare, I think, that people get a chance to make such a huge difference. So it's really cool that you were able to do this. Uh, I got to ask, I mean, I know that we talked earlier, but how were you able to use CVent to help, you know, accomplish these goals? We actually could not have done a lot of this without Cvent. So thank you guys. Um, Cvent is our backbone and has been for a decade behind the event education service unit. Uh, you guys have been putting out a lot of information, and we had so so a couple of things. Number one, we had to cancel, postpone, or reschedule three months of events: March, April, May, and actually part of June. I mean, at this point now, we're, now we're going virtual, but uh, so three, three to three and a half months events. So the first thing we had was downtime, downtime to become students. And you guys ironically came out with Flex at a really great time. So we are in the process of converting to Flex. And I asked the team in anticipation to talk to you guys today. I said, are we Flexperts yet? I <laughs> love said, that, Flexperts. <laughs> yeah, favorite. they said, we're on our way. We're not there yet. But hands down, recommend to all those event professionals listening to, you know, jump on this Flex bandwagon. So uh, that's what our, our frontline uh, teams have been working on. And then, you know, we've just been able to innovate and pivot quickly and to go from live to what is a virtual event? What are the best practices? How is it different from a live event? And how can we still create engagement and experience virtually? And now this new term that has come into our lives of a hybrid event where you've got the live and the virtual. So prior to all this, we had live with live stream, but we've gotten really intentional and deliberate about those virtual attendees. I mean, as our primary audience and that's been a big change and you guys have really helped us with that. That's so great to hear. And I well and I know that you guys have an event that you have your marketing and sales virtual conference. It started May 9th and I know it's it's so it's two Saturdays in a row. So we're kind of right in the middle of that right now. Tell us how did the first day go? Well, Brooke, I mean, I wish you could see the smile on my face right now as I talk to you about this. Um, We originally had this event planned live in March. It's an annual event. We usually get about 50 people. So our largest event is 500. We, again, we have over 100 events a year. So for this one, we only had 25 people coming in 2020, which was a disappointment. And then we had to move it. It was going to be in June virtually, but we realized our members 
needed this information instantly. So with two weeks notice, uh, we made an executive decision to have the event last Saturday and this coming Saturday. And I, I, I instantly said, we're going to have 200 people at this event. And our uh, vice president of sales and marketing, who is, you know, dear friend, partner in crime, we work very closely together. She was like, there's no way with two weeks notice. And I thought, well, she thought there was no way it's her team who, who fills the events, you know, maybe there was no way, but I think much to both of our surprise, the whole collective team surprise, we had over 300 attendees last Saturday. Whoa. That is, yeah, <laughs> unprecedented for us. And we did a member poll and asked people, we're like, hey, we're bringing you virtual. So we've really been engaging people and saying, you know, do you want it back to back? Do you want Friday, Saturday? Do you want evenings? And then we offered this Saturday, Saturday option. And that is what they wanted. It's actually not my favorite choice because I thought, how's that going to work to have a two-day event with a week in between? How is this going to work? Well, what, what we stumbled upon on accident that I think may be a great virtual strategy is that part one was phenomenal. I mean, the, the speakers, the curriculum, the delivery, all the teams working on this did an incredible job. The participants had a great experience, saw very high value, and now they've become uh, evangelists and are giving these great testimonials on social, encouraging others to attend. So part two is this Saturday. As of, I think, when uh, a couple days ago, we had 350 registrants. As of this morning, we're now up to 400 registrants. And by Saturday, we could be at, at 450. So this may be a great idea for those event planners out there as you're, as you're doing virtual. It creates a lot of flexibility and opportunity. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. So I think that, you know, other people can register this week and then we'll let them uh, view part one in a recorded in a recorded manner so they can catch up. So I think two consecutive Saturdays may be something here to stay for us with virtual events. That's incredible success, Lizzie. You went from 22 people to now 400 and some who are participating and really just like leveraging the audience to help you promote and really on their own because they had such a great time. I mean, that's, that's a true success story if I've ever heard one. And I love that you're like, you know, maybe this is a, a new format we could use. We do an event and we have a week. Everybody has to do their day jobs, right? And then we do another event the following week and you can still get a larger audience. That's so cool. I think if you're, you know, is your audience more of a consumer audience or in the business to business market, if people don't have time from nine to five and, and being a lifelong learner is really becoming, you know, more of an industry value and that people value their their professional development, the Saturday to Saturday. And then also the best practice of, I guess we've learned in virtual, that half-day programming is about what people can handle. So we're, we've learned half-day programming, frequent breaks, um, ideally 45-minute sessions with 10-minute breaks, and pattern interrupts. So we're doing a lot of polling, audience engagement, and things like that. That's what we've learned. And that, that, so far, that's our, that recipe has brought us success at our first go. I hope our audience is listening because that all makes a whole lot of sense um, and great advice. And I know, you know, those past couple of months have been 
really crazy for you in some really great ways, um, as well as, you know, you've, you've been dealing with some challenges as well. If you had to highlight what your favorite or maybe your most memorable part of this entire experience would be, and I know it's hard to ask you to just have one, so a couple, what would those be? What are those highlights for you? Yeah, thank you, Brooke. I was like, I'm going to cheat because there's no way to have just one. <laughs> we usually ask for just um, one, but like it's an impossible ask, so we get it. <laughs> it. It is. Definitely. I mean, there's been a lot of media coverage that's, that's been exciting to see, but I think it's more the stories we've heard from our members that are so incredibly inspirational and the help that they're able um, to provide in the community. I mean, that's what gets me out of bed every day and says, helps me say, how can I, it's like, how can I help take on the world for these pharmacists, make sure they have access to, um, patients have access to compounds, make sure they have access to the information that they need through education to make those compounds and just supporting them, uh, helping people. You know, I do have my own handoff story. So my husband is actually um, one of our members and he, his pharmacy engaged in the compounding handoff. And so I, it's the only time I've been out of the house in like three months, I went with him to do a handoff and we were in uh, city hall in Homewood, Alabama and the fire chief came out and he brought a hand sanitizer, two ounce bottle that had one drop in it. And he brought it out and he held it up to the news camera. And he said, this is all the hand sanitizer that is left in the Homewood fire department and that we were being called to go into people's homes who are presumed COVID positive and we're just people. And, you know, we're a little, we're a little nervous about that. And the fact that this pharmacy can uh, provide us with as much needed hand sanitizer is that it makes our job safer, easier, and we're more confident. So thank you. And that was, that was very rewarding. And then the last thing I will tell you, uh, COVID really hit home. You know, we're talking, I mean, this whole podcast is about bright spots and shining spots and turning what has been a really terrible, unprecedented worldwide pandemic in which so many people have suffered loss of jobs, loss of life, you know, but, but you, you wake up in the morning and you've got to get out of bed. So you look for that silver lining and that bright spot. Well, COVID really hit home for me. Last week, um, my mom became uh, COVID positive and um, she is across the country and I, you know, don't have any access other than the phone. We talk every day, but to be able to have access to such a great clinical pharmacist through my job who are showering her with ideas, love, encouragement, prayer. I mean, you, you name it, just really lifting her up and, and helping her get through this and checking on her every day and all of that. It really goes straight to the heart of who compounding pharmacists are and, and, and what they do and the role that they fill, which is to be there to help patients. And so that, that's it. That's the rewarding piece. Oh I'm so, so sorry to hear about your mom. I can't even imagine what this is like right now, but all of the good that you've done over the past couple months, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It really is. I mean, I have goosebumps. I don't know about you, Cody. I do too. I mean, 
uh, my heart goes out to you. I, I love the story about, you know, the fire station coming out with just one drop of hand sanitizer left and you guys really making a huge difference and just coming to the rescue. I'm so happy that you came on the podcast to tell your story. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. I've really appreciated it. It's, uh, it's been kind of fun to sit with you for a little bit and relive what has been a very hectic last couple of months, but I know that I've just, you know, I'm very blessed, uh, blessed to have work at this time and to just be surrounded by really great people, not only at PCCA, but within our membership that we serve. Yeah. Our hearts definitely go out to you and your mom. Is there anything you want to promote on our podcast to, to share with our listeners? I did have a few things. Yes. Thanks for asking. One, um, we have a COVID-19 resource center. And for those of your listeners that are business to business, there may be some really good resources there that, and tools that could still help you guys at this time. Certainly want to invite everyone listening to follow us on social media at PCCARX is the hashtag. And then we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Definitely want to invite people to learn more on our public website, which is at PCCARX.com. And again, I know at this time, compounding pharmacy is about 1% to 3% of the prescriptions or reflects 1% to 3% of the prescriptions written in the United States. So this type of medicine may be new for some of your listeners. And one of our podcasts may just be really great for them, which is understanding the role that independent community pharmacies play. We have a mortar and pestle podcast featuring Doug Hoy. Doug is the chief executive officer of the National Community Pharmacists Association. And that's available on both Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Amazing. Well, we definitely need to follow up with you after this to figure out how Cody and I can uh, give some hand sanitizer as well. I would encourage absolutely listening to help get involved as much as they can. We'll put links to all of the resources in the episode description, or if you go to um, cvent.com slash podcast. And Lizzie, I cannot say it enough. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been just so inspirational. I mean, it really, it really hit home. So thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much, Lizzie. Thank this you, has been guys. one of my favorites. So thank you again. Well, thank you. You're both phenomenal hosts. Again, um, appreciate having Cvent as a partner 10 years plus. And I know y'all are part of a great work family and team as well. So thanks for the work you're doing with this. That was so inspiring to hear how Lizzie and her team at PCCA made such a significant difference, not only to her local community, but to the whole country. Yeah, and I especially love that story about how they came to the rescue for firefighters, you know, the people who always come to the rescue for others. Yeah, it's really nice to see people coming together to make a difference in really any way that they can. Yeah, and for our listeners, if you want to get involved, head on over to cvent.com slash podcast. All the resources we talked about are in the episode description. And if anyone out there has any goodwill stories and would like to be on the podcast, please let us know by emailing us at podcast at cvent.com. We would love to have you on. Before you guys know it, we'll have another great episode. So we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.